Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time to go over the gentlemen's quarterfinal results at Wimbledon 2021. The reason I'm not doing, uh, I'm doing a big video for all of them is it's genuinely difficult for me to watch two matches at once and then deliver the depth of analysis that I try to achieve regularly. So I'm going to do all four matches. Instead, what I could have done is I could have chosen two and watched one at a time, but I wanted to watch all four. So uh, I'm going to go I think about five minutes on each match. Here are the results, folks. Uh, Berrettini defeats OJ Aliassime in four sets. Uh, Hubie Hercotch defeats Roger Federer in straight sets. So that is your semifinal on the bottom half. On the top half, Karen Hachinov uh, falls to Denis Shapovalov in five sets, 6-4 in the fifth. And Novak Djokovic takes out Martin Fucevic in three sets. I want to start with uh, the Djokovic match, kind of going in random order. I'll, I'll go Djokovic, Federer, Shapo, and then Berrettini in that order. All right? Um, so first of all, the match starts off, and clearly the Hungarian is feeling the stress and the tension of the moment. You combine that with the fact that it's very windy, and it just makes for very difficult conditions to play in. So what Novak does is he really reels back and he doesn't give Marton much pace at all. He plays extremely, extremely safe and kind of lets Fucevic implode for the most part in the early going. And it, you know, he built a, a five love lead off of just staying really super solid while Fucevic was just trying to find himself. Now, while that strategy was really effective for Novak early on. It might have backfired because he might have gotten a little bit tentative. So when Fucevic really started to get the rhythm and just, I think, just loosen up and start to feel less stress on the court, he went from 5-love to 5-3. But Novak closed out the first set nice and easy in the 5-3 game and won, won at 6-3. Novak really, as a whole, did kind of struggle with the wind here. And... He was resourceful, which was the key, but it was not easy for him. This was not his cleanest performance. It wasn't Fucevic's best performance either, so it, it might have just been about the wind. But uh, I will say Djokovic did some things that were very important for his ability to to win and, and win in straight sets. And one of those things was uh, the backhand slice, which he controlled masterfully in this match. So if you're, if you're having trouble with your timing and your footwork, the, the slice is going to be a little bit less demanding. The timing is not going to be quite as difficult, and certainly the footwork is going to be more forgiving. If you're kind of in the wrong position, you'll still be able to slice effectively where the, the two-hander, you really have to, the ball really needs to be in the right spot or it's going to be difficult to execute that two-hander. So I think Novak because of the wind and because he just wasn't really feeling at his best, would go to the slice, but he was hitting it so well. And especially when he was playing with the wind, when the ball was kind of stopping up and it wasn't really tr coming to Novak, it was the more difficult side in terms of footwork. And Fucevic would sometimes use his slice to keep it very low and short. <laughs> Novak did such a good job stepping in, controlling the low backhand slice. It was a key shot for him. And then the second thing was the return was excellent. The return is not going to be affected as much by the wind when it comes to a footwork and movement perspective because 
the movement is completely different, and it doesn't require those small adjustment steps that Novak was struggling with for portions of the match. So Novak's return was excellent the entire time. And Fucevic does not have an awful serve at all. Like, he's got a much better serve than, like, a Garin, for example. Averages around 115 miles per hour, but Novak made it look poor. I mean, Novak, um, let me see what the uh, first serve points one percentage for Fucevic was. Um, it was 58% win percentage on first serve, which just shows you that's five percentage points better than the second serve. It just shows you that Novak was really eating Marton's serve for breakfast. Um, and Novak had two separate strategies, with the wind and against the wind. With the wind, remember, that is the, the side that he was struggling with the footwork and the balance. Uh, but at 4-all in the second set, Novak kind of, by that point, got it down. And really, he was able to D-up. And when Marton was hitting against the wind and Novak, as soon as Novak got his timing and his movement down on that end of the court, it became a really difficult equation for Fucevic because he's hitting against the wind. It's making his ground strokes a little bit slower and less potent. So as soon as Novak got his movement and his defense down and his shot tolerance was great, as I'll talk about, it was uh, it was too much for Marton to handle. And then when Novak was playing against the wind, he actually got more offensive because he was able to use a lot of drop shot shots because, of course, the wind slows the ball down, so it's a little bit easier. And then the lobs are good, too, because the lob keeps the ball in the court. And Fucevic was a player who sometimes struggled with what to do with the ball when he got to the drop shot. So that was a really good tactic. And against the wind, Djokovic had the craftsmanship that Fucevic lacked. So Novak could D up, right? Novak could D up when Fucevic was against the wind, and it was very difficult for him. Fucevic couldn't D up when Novak was against the wind because Novak could go to the drop shot. He could finish at the net a little bit more naturally. He had more options there. In the uh, the third set, there was maybe a chance for for Fucevic to to make this a match, but Djokovic at love all. Hit some spectacular first serve returns. Two won the point outright. Fucevic had love 40 on the next game. And Novak hits two service winners. And then a great drop shot. Marton netted the plot, the reply. You can see kind of some of the themes there. And Novak ends up holding, holds from that point on, wins the third set 6-4. So uh, Fucevic played well in that second set. Djokovic raised his level in the four-all game. Uh, won the second set 6-4. And then in the third set, the beginning was the key. Uh, I think Djokovic was happy to match Marton in shot tolerance, which was really important in this match. Because again, Novak didn't have his best stuff off the ground. The timing wasn't quite there. But but Fucevic was experiencing the same thing. So it came down to, in a lot of the tight moments, certain you know long rallies and the willingness for Novak to outlast Marton in those long rallies and just be a little bit more comfortable applying pressure compared to Fucevic made all the difference, but Novak's shot, shot tolerance was good in this match and a real key. Uh, overall, a really good tournament for Fucevic regardless of this result. It wasn't the best match for him, but he also had his moments, especially in the second and the third set, where he did kind of show off what he can do. And I'm really interested to see what Fucevic can do in New York. I think it's a great uh, slam for him. And I think he can be dangerous. It's the physical slam, and it's a little bit slower than Wimbledon. So I think it it, it could be uh, it could be good for him. 
Uh, but Novak, he did a good job in this match, winning despite not having his A stuff. That's what that's what great players do. He's in the semifinal, quietly, swiftly, cleanly. The mental sharpness has been great throughout the tournament. And now it's time for a step up in competition, and we'll see what, what Novak does with it and, and how he handles it. The next quarterfinal, Roger Federer and Hubi Hercotch. It's obviously the the big headlines basically of the day was that Hercotch not only beat Federer but beat him very handedly and I'm not going to get into any retirement stuff. There's a separate video up on my channel about the retirement question that kind of emerged after Federer's loss here. So uh not going to get into it but check that out if you haven't. I got to say, I just want to say in general that Hubert Hercotch is playing awesome grass court tennis. His serve and return, so key on the grass, obviously. He's serving huge. His return is so strong. The way he uh, absorbs the power and the hands that he has on the return and the wingspan, which was a massive key, that that he uses his long arms so well on the return. Um, and he is taking the ball super early. He's redirecting a ton very effectively. He's not missing much. And when he's getting that those short balls that are produced from his depth of shot and his ability to redirect, uh, he is hitting these very high percentage, calm, cool, collected approach shots and following them up with what feels like the most high percentage, easygoing volleys, yet effective volleys at the net. The style that Hercotch is playing is so exciting to me because I, I just feel like uh, we haven't seen it much. The the all-court game that he's playing, the way he's uh, using all parts of the court right now. I, I mean, I just love what I'm seeing from him. So one thing with the Federer match is this. Hercotch keeps the ball deep in the court. You must be comfortable trading. You must be willing to play the play rallies with him because Hercotch really does a great job keeping the ball deep and also just basically remaining unattackable. And it just felt like Federer's shot selection was edgy, constantly desperate to to do a lot with every ball. And the errors were obviously just kind of flowing off of Roger Federer's racket. And I just felt he just he did not have the safety in his game that you can play with against Hercotch. What you need to do with Hercotch is, you know, his weight of shot is not overwhelming. So you must be willing to defend a little bit against Hubie. And, you know, you just need to play a patient style. But if you're not patient, you're playing into Hercotch's hands. And Federer was not patient at all. I think that came from a place of Roger not trusting his legs. And that's why I think he felt so desperate to finish every point. Because I don't think he felt comfortable with his with his movement around the court uh, in all facets. His movement was not good. And I think the forehand really suffers when that happens. When his feet aren't getting in the right position. Again, it was windy. That might have exacerbated the problem. But, but Federer's normally great in the wind because of his footwork and how good it is. And because he serves well in the wind. But the 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 point is, he just was not moving well to the ball. He looked hesitant, uncertain. The the balance wasn't there, and 
these things are just all related. They all culminated in Federer having a really bad forehand day. And also his net coverage was pretty poor, I felt, when he when he did approach the net. Federer's serve was also just not good enough to bother Hercotch's return. Now, this is an area where I think that it's all it's more about it was more inevitable coming into the match. Something that I didn't identify actually. But Federer's serve speeds, I just don't think were really good enough here throughout the tournament even, to bother Hercotch's return. Um, because I just felt like sometimes Federer would hit his spot at about 115 or something, and there was too much time. There was enough time for Hercotch to reach the ball, plain and simple, and he just needed a little bit more MPH. Federer did not hit enough aces in this tournament, and that was kind of a red flag coming into this match. I kind of looked the other way based on the opponents and how many service winners he was getting. Against Nori and Sinego, I thought Roger got a lot of free points. So that's why the ace number didn't really concern me. But in this match against a, a much better returner in Hercotch, he's a better returner, definitely better than Sinego, you could see that that Federer's serve really wasn't good enough. And that should have been a red flag coming into this match. Uh, but... Obviously, I, I explained to you why I didn't think it was, and, and that was wrong because Hercotch proved to be another level. And again, I don't think that had anything to do with Federer really having a particularly bad day. I think that was bound to happen. Where the movement in the forehand, it looked better in previous rounds, and I, I just think for some reason it was not Roger's day, either physically or if it was, uh, if it was mental or what. Um, and then in terms of the, the Federer return, Hercotch has bombs. He really does. He has bombs. So I'm not going to get on the Federer return. Even though Hercotch won, won an outstanding percentage. 79% first serve points won. 56% second serve points won. Um, obviously set three was so dominant that uh, it, it does do a little bit of skewing. Uh, because in set two, Federer returned much better overall. But but look at set one. In set one, Hercotch was 15 for 16 on first serve points one. I'm not going to slam the Federer return because I respect Hercotch's serve. They were bombs. I mean, he was doing great there. So this needs to be a match where there's not going to be a lot of breaks. It was really about Federer not protecting his serve well enough against Hercotch uh, because it's going to be difficult to, to break Kubi. I mean, we saw he went into the match against Medvedev having not dropped his serve, the only player in the tournament who hadn't dropped his serve. So if Federer was going to win this match, it wasn't going to be because he kept breaking and breaking and breaking. It was going to be because he held serve a lot and and got that odd break. And that's that's on, on a grass court. That's what it was going to have to be. So Hercotch with some great serving. I do want to highlight the second set tie break uh, because this was Federer's best set. He had a little bit of a push. He got to the net a ton in this set and as a result kept Hercotch away from the net and returned the second serve a lot better. Uh, but he ended up losing this tiebreak and he really had no business losing this tiebreak because he should have been up huge. He should have been up really big. Uh, but he missed a lot of chances. At Love All, he had a forehand swing volley and hit it cross-court, and Hercotch guessed right and flicked a cross-court forehand pass cross-court. So that that's a good play by Hercotch, but I'm just going to illustrate every time Federer was in a position to win the point and ended up losing. So that's one. Then at one all, Federer uh, hits a, a two-shot pass. The first passing shot could have been better, and it wasn't, but Hercotch doesn't do well with the volley. So now Federer moves up to the ball 
and has a close range opportunity at a forehand pass. And he has tons of options here, but you got to hit this ball probably either hard cross court or hard at the body. Uh, but hard at the body is really the play there because you're at you're you're so close. Federer is so close here on this point that you have no angle around Hercotch because again the you you have no angle because the ball's too close uh, and Hercotch is close to the net. So you either need to lob or you need to hit at Hercotch uh, or if you're gonna or you can go cross court and try to get the ball really low over the low part of the net. But Federer just massages the ball down the line. It's the one thing he couldn't afford to do because now, first of all, you don't hit the ball hard. So it's easier for Hercotch to react. Secondly, you let him extend his arms. Any volleyer wants to extend their arms. If Federer goes hard right at Hercotch, there's going to be no time to react. He's not going to be able to extend his arms. He's likely not going to be able to make the volley. So Hercotch ends up hitting a backhand volley winner where Federer should have passed 90% of the time there. Uh, then um, at two all, Federer has a swing volley with the open court. He could have taken it as a conventional volley, but I didn't mind the choice to hit a swing volley. You just can't miss it though. It, it was, a, again, a winning position on serve. He had it set up and he nets it. And then the worst one of them all was at 3-2. Uh, or or two three actually, excuse me. Uh, Federer slips. Federer has an easy high volley and ends up slipping on the grass. It goes past him. Can't even get a racket on it, and he goes down two four in the tie break. He was in four points there out of the first six. Federer is in a winning position, and he loses four out of the first six points. That is rough. It should have been, um, you know, it it should have been the other way. Federer should have built that lead, no doubt. So uh, that's the key. And then in the third set, he had nothing left, really, and uh, just clinical. And great job by Hercotch for for uh, not letting up whatsoever, not even a little bit. All right, for uh, Shapovalov and Karen Hatchinov. First of all, congratulations to Shapo and his fans' first major semifinal. Same goes for Hubie Hercotch. Congratulations to him and his fans for his maiden semifinal. Uh, but for Shapo, man, the growth is just on display, isn't it? Uh, the improved footwork, the improved shot selection, the discipline, the uh, improved backhand defense, which I'll get into. But one of the things that I think was really good in this match and on full display that that even for portions of 2021 I felt weren't really great, was just Shapo's mental. And I know he's been working with a mental coach and a psychologist uh, along with his his coach, Craig Boynton, and he's really been working on that, on just staying a little bit more calm, using meditation at the changeover. But I don't want to talk about any of those semantics. He never got negative in this match. And this was a best-of-five set match, up and down and up and down, where Hatchinov, I thought, played really well for long periods of time and outplayed the Canadian. And I was just so impressed by Shapo's mentality in the biggest match of his life to just stay the course and just play a really level, even match to never lose the script, to never go off the rails mentally. The old Shapo would have. The old Shapo would have got, gone dark on himself, would have gotten down and negative. I guarantee it. So I just love the, the fact that he's really showing the growth. I want to emphasize the fact that I think Hatchinoff played really well in this match. 
Uh, he took the ball big. He took the ball early. I think he successfully rushed Shapovalov pretty often in the rallies and had a lot of success in the in the neutral rallies. Uh, Shapo showed off some improved backhand defense, used the slice, and, you know, it's still a weakness. Don't get me wrong, but one of the, the traps that I can fall into analyzing these matches is I can say, well, uh, this worked, this didn't work, but sometimes there's gray area. Hachinov rushing Shapo on the backhand, hitting big serves, and then big first forehands to the backhand. Did that work? Yeah, it did, but could it have worked better if he was playing an older version of Shapovalov who wasn't defending his backhand as well? Yes. So those two things are true. I think Shapo's improved backhand defense really came up big uh, a couple of times here. Again, it's still a weakness, but it's just it's just better than it was. There were periods of time, and I think this is what swung the match. There were periods of time where Hachinov served much more accurately than Shapovalov. Um, obviously, Shapo had some issues with the double faults for periods of this match, but also just had issues with his first serve percentage. And when that was the case, with Hachinov serving much more accurately, he was the better player. He was the better player because he was working himself into uh, into more neutral rallies or plus one play. He was good uh, with the plus one play was Hachinov. And, and then he was taking the ball big and early off the ground, hitting his backhand great, going down the line really well as well, was Hachinov and just, you know, playing super well. It was the periods where, where Shapo was making his first serves and Hachinov was making his first serves. That's where it was actually Shapovalov being the better player because something caught me off guard. I really thought that it would be Shapo struggling with his first serve return and Hachinov not. But it was actually when they were landing in the box, it was actually Shapovalov returning the first serve better than Hachinov, which surprised me. Uh, if you just look at the fifth set uh, at 4-all, for example, this was an incredible game. Hachinov made his first serves in this game. And Shapo made tremendous first serve returns. Not offensive, but but neutralizing. And over and over and over again, this was a, a really good battle at 4-all. Back and forth and back and forth. I can't tell you the same thing kept happening over and over again. It, it That didn't happen. But the fact that Hachinov hit his spots and made his first serves and still was broken here, young Shapo could never. Could never. And that's the theme here that I'm trying to get at, is Shapo's growth was really on display here. Um, and in the fifth set, Shapovalov made all his first serves. He was accurate. So so we talk about uh, about Hachinov rushing Dennis, and that's why that's why he was better than RBA and Murray, because Hachinov could do what those two could not. Hit bigger, hit earlier, rush Shapo. But when, when Shapovalov is making his first serve, uh, and the points are being started off with kind of the weak, kind of the block return— now Shapo is not rushed, and the net-net of this tournament, the big conclusion right now, if you've watched Shapovalov throughout this tournament, is pretty much if, if you're not rushing him, if you're giving him time on the baseline, you should basically quit because he's so lethal, so deadly, so consistent, and has so much firepower that there's not much anyone can do. So as soon as that, he made so many first serves in that fifth set, did Shapo, and the fourth set as well, that uh, Hachinov was no longer 
no longer had the advantage of being the more accurate server, and that's when Shapovalov regained control of the match. Great match by these two. Really impressed. Really impressed by Shapovalov and Tachinov. And Tachinov. I thought he played great. Uh, similarly, Berrettini defeats Felix Ojealiasim, and if I can just start with FAA, um, I also think that FAA actually played better in this match than he did against Zverev, but um, he he lost instead of he instead of winning. That's how tennis goes sometimes. Um, I just want to say that because I know some people have felt like I've been negative about Felix, but I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest with you about what I think the top level is for Felix and how close I think he was to it. And against Zverev, I don't care if he won. Against Emer, I don't care if he won. I just I just don't think he was close to his top level. In this match, I actually think he played better. But he had an opponent who was really game in, in Matteo Berrettini. And um, the first three sets were very tight. Uh, back and forth, 50-50 kind of tennis. And the reason for that is FAA's forehand was just as consistent, if not more consistent, than Matteo's. No doubt about it. Um, the unforced error count on the forehand was actually higher for Berrettini. And when that's the case, um, you have a, a movement advantage, a mobility advantage for FAA. And FAA can um, did a good job of using his return and getting the ball to Mateo's backhand in the rallies. Uh, but at the same time, Mateo was getting a lot of returns in play, and I was impressed with Berrettini's returning. So there was a, a fair amount of breaks of serve in this match. But then, if I can skip ahead to the third set, this was really the key. And and really, the, the story of the match can be told just by going to five all in the third set. Uh, Berrettini was under more pressure than FAA for the entirety of the third set. Really, uh, FAA was the better player. Putting more pressure, getting into Berrettini's service game, holding quickly. But Berrettini was clutch on the serve. That is what you have to deal with when you're playing a server like Matteo. You, you can do everything right, but it might be break point and they're too good. The serve is too good. And you just got to keep moving on. You got to stick with it and you got to hope to protect your serve. And at five all with FAA serving, Berrettini played a great return game. He hit a great second serve return at Love All. Felix double faulted at Love 15. And then from the Love 30 hole, Berrettini made a great forehand pass where Felix didn't do much wrong. And then on break point, Berrettini did, did a really good job where Felix got the ball to his backhand a bunch of times in the rally. But Berrettini used his slice, worked the point, worked the point, worked the point. And uh, and ended up winning just a, a lengthy rally that was well played by the Italian. So, and then he holds serve at six five. So here we have a third set where Felix was for the most part the better player, but he still lost. This is where his age and his inexperience really showed. Felix got negative. He got down on himself and played very poorly, very poor game at the start of the fourth set to just surrender the break. Was uh, and was very upset at the changeover. His body language was not good. He simply did not was not able to stay positive. Where in reality there was so much reason for him to stay positive, so much reason. 
He he played better in the third set. He should have picked himself up and said, you know what? I'm in this match. I'm playing well. I'm returning well. I'm hitting my forehand with enough consistency. But he, he just couldn't. He was affected by losing the third set. And that is where you have to remember that FAA is 20 years old. He will learn from this. That, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because we talk about the Canadians. And I think Chapeau did a great job staying positive, And Felix didn't. Chapeau's got a... Chapo's got a little bit of age on on FAA, so maybe that's the difference there. Who knows? But uh, that is the regret for for FAA. But Berrettini continues to roll on. He's looking impressive, uh, impressive, um, I should say. And uh, this was a, a win for him, where where it really showcased his ability to serve in the clutch, to not panic. I thought he didn't play his best level either, but he just avoided those those loose games and was very very clutch. Berrettini's a mental giant, by the way. It it should be said, uh, him and yeah, I mean, I think that him and honestly Isner have some similar traits, but Berrettini's more talented. Uh, but their abilities to really be comfortable in the fine margins, which is a real talent, uh, is is really, really tops. So props to Berrettini in another major semifinal. First time since, uh, without checking off the top of my head, U.S. Open 2019. Hopefully I'm getting that right. Was it 2018? Yeah. Anyway, again, hopefully hopefully my memory serves me. I'm sure you commenters will uh, will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, anyway, that'll do it. Those are uh, There's your rundown of the four quarterfinal matches. I will have a semifinal preview for you out tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wall and drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wall wherever you get your podcasts.